I hope you have your Bible this morning. If you don't, grab one in front of you there in the pew. As we open God's Word to hear Him speak to us this morning, we are turning to the book of Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10, as you're making your way there, we're taking our study of the attributes of God. Hopefully you picked up your box of of memory cards and you're hiding God's Word in your heart and just meditating and reflecting on who God is and what He's like each and every day throughout the week. And this week we're on the truth that God is the omnipotent God. We worship a God that has all power. And Jeremiah is going to speak to us this morning and help us to realize that. We've discovered this is the third omni uh, attribute that we've walked through. First one was the omniscience of God. God knows everything that's going on, everything that possibly could happen, past, present, and future. And God is present everywhere. He's omnipresent. We learned that last week. That God has gotten not limited in any way by space. He's in every place. He's here among us. He's within those who are believers today. His presence is within us by His Spirit. And yet He still reigns and rules on His throne. Well, today we discuss God's omnipotence. That God possesses all power. Is your God powerful? Amen. He is powerful. But for some, is your God power? Now, I say that because we live in a culture that not everyone worships the omnipotent God, but there is the worship of power. There are those that worship power that think that, you know what, the power of armies will enable us to enforce our will upon another. And they worship that power. There are some who worship the power of money. Money to influence decisions, not only of politicians, but even of other uh, businesses. And, and through that, they can influence decisions through the power of money. Politicians and world leaders, some elected, some not elected, are power hungry. They want to impose their will on populations. Some want to enforce it upon the whole world. There are ruthless businessmen, moguls we call them, right? They claw their way to the top and exercise their relative power to achieve short-lived ends. You see, power has become an idol in the culture that we live in. It's an idol in the hearts and minds of many. And some worship power as a god. But the psalmist tells us all power belongs to God. In fact, Paul the Apostle says, listen, all of creation is giving evidence. It's bearing witness to us that there is the eternal power of the Godhead. God's glory is reflected in all of creation. And it's speaking a truth that there is an all-powerful God who made all things. Everywhere you and I look, everything that we see, all the birds that we hear, and the chirping in the trees. All of these things are declaring a God that has omnipotent power. What is omnipotence? The omnipotence of God is His ability to accomplish whatsoever He pleases. In harmony with his will and his perfections. When we think about God's work, what he does, his will, his pleasure, as he works and does things, his works demonstrate his omnipotence. Of course, all of creation. Listen, that God created the heavens and the earth by just speaking. Flinging the stars from his fingertips. Creating the sun, the moon, the earth, the creatures that walk among us. That that are here in in the sky and in the oceans flying through both mediums. All of the plants, the everything with order in it. 
God, by His power, demonstrates how great He is. His providence, how He sustains it all. His power to do His will. Nothing is too difficult for Him. Nothing can thwart Him. Nothing can stop Him from doing His will. Some will resist. Some will try to stop it. But even in their actions, our God is sovereign and in control and has all the power to accomplish what He wants. The work of redemption, deliverance that we experience, all of it bears witness to the absolute power of God over all things, good and evil. Jesus stepped down from his throne to redeem us and to give himself for us. And and when he rose from the dead, he ascended back to that throne of power. Or he is seated at the right hand of God, the hand of power. And he demonstrates, even in his work of redemption, he is a powerful God. But omnipotence is not merely that God has the ability to do anything. That that would be short-sighted, you see, because it doesn't consider the other attributes of God. Because clearly there are some things that God doesn't have the power to do. He can't do. That doesn't mean He's not omnipotent. He does everything in harmony with His will and His perfections, His other attributes. For example, God can never, does not have the power to become greater than He already is. Because He already is the greatest one. He's immutable. He can't change. He just is the great Almighty God. He doesn't have the power to lie. Why? Because you see, His other moral perfection or attribute is that He is true. So God cannot lie. He doesn't have that ability within Him. He doesn't even have the power to do anything contrary to these virtues of who he is. He doesn't have the power to deny himself. He must do everything in harmony with his holiness and his perfections. And yet the amazing thing is, he has commanded for that power to be manifested and be displayed among us. And he can do whatever he wants. In fact, the amazing thing, all of his acts are done without any effort. Stop and think about that for a moment. He never has to say, oh, I need some energy. I need some, some resource. I need something. He expends no energy when he does anything at all. I mean, his self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for any strength or even to be renewed. When he rested, it wasn't because he expended all of his energy and he needed more power. No, the rest wasn't for him. It was for man. Huh. You see, all the power that God needs is, and all required, He possesses already. And He does whatever He wills. Why? Because in His infinite being, He has the power to do so. Job spoke in Job 42, 2. I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Job had come to that point where he put his hand over his mouth and realized he's God and I'm not. and He can do whatever he wants to do. That's a healthy place for all of us to be, frankly. Now, a couple weeks ago in Psalm 115, verse 3, when we walked through the transcendence of God, it was one of our memory verses. Hopefully you've memorized this one. I mean, the Gentiles around us, they may say, hey, where is their God? You remember that verse? Well, our God is in heaven. And here's the verse. He does whatever he pleases. Why? Why does he do whatever he pleases? Because he has the power as sovereign king over all things, transcendent above all things to do whatever he wants to do. Now, that can either be a dread to you or an encouragement to you today. As a believer, it should be an encouragement for us. My God is free to do whatever he wants, has the power to accomplish it. And unlike the idols of this world who are powerless, impotent, 
My God, your God, is omnipotent. Praise God. We don't serve some weak little God who needs help. Our God is mighty. And Jeremiah is going to highlight that for us. In fact, this is at the beginning of the temple sermon that he, he gave. It's in the midst of that temple sermon as God had raised him up. And, and Jeremiah's responsibility was to go and expose the corruption, not only in the political leadership or in the religious leadership, but the corruption that was in the heart of man. The heart is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? God does. I'll tell you that. And Jeremiah confronted that the hearts of God's people was full of idolatry. It was full of immorality. And they were apostatizing. They were prime for God's judgment because they were turning away from him. They had hewn cisterns that couldn't hold any water. And they had turned away or forsaken the God who does give living water. And as a result of that, they were unwilling to repent. They were unwilling to turn. And so Jeremiah is going to proclaim, judgment is going to be swift on this nation that has forsaken God. We must not think, by the way, as Americans, that we're not ripe for God's judgment either. Uh, our idol is power in many ways and our leaders. And we have forsaken God in many ways and hewn cisterns, fashioned idols that, that don't hold any water. When we hear God speak today to, through Jeremiah to his people, he speaks to us because God hasn't changed. And he's the same one true God, the everlasting God, the God of all generations, the eternal God. And he can't change in any of those generations, including our own. So God have mercy on us where we think we're all powerful, even in America, that we can just forge and force our will on anyone and everyone and think it'll be okay. No, we desperately need God and to trust in him. Not just corporately as a nation, individually as a church and as believers each and every day. I need to rest in God's power and strength because frankly, I don't have it. Neither do you. And only God, the almighty God, is the one that we should be worshiping and serving. Not idols of our hearts and idols of our mind. And Jeremiah is going to contrast the weak, impotent idols and the omnipotent God that we should be following. Stand with me. I'm going to read from Jeremiah chapter 10. We're going to hear from the omnipotent God. I'm going to read starting in verse 6, and we'll look through verses 1 through 16, but I want to start in verse 6 today and just read a few verses so we can get right in. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord. Praise God. He's the only one. Amen. You are great, and your name is great in might or power. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. And is brought from Tarshish, gold from Uphaz, the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the metalsmith. Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And at His wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these 
heavens. Father in heaven, may we realize today that you are the omnipotent, almighty God. You possess all power necessary to do your holy will. God, that will is not just uh, upon earth, it's your will in our lives. God, may we surrender and yield to you, realizing, Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We desperately need you. We need the strength of your name. We need the strength of the power of the blood of Christ to transform our lives. And we need the strength that you've given us by your spirit each day to navigate this world. And God, I pray that we as your people would attempt great things for you, even in this day and age, being faithful. God, realizing it's not in our strength, but it's in yours. And God, may we labor in such a way that the world sees and knows there is one true almighty God in his name. Is Jesus. We ask this in his powerful and precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Jeremiah is delivering God's word to a nation that had stopped worshiping him. He's looking around and he ridicules the idols of God's people. Worthless idols. Worthless idols. Idols are a worthless doctrine. Israel had gradually imitated the practices of the pagans around them. They had been warned by Moses over in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that they should not adopt the practices of the nations. They should not adopt idolatry and thus immorality. They, but what happened was God's people filled their lives with the worship of idols. And the idols were powerless. They had no power in and of themselves. And if only the people would stop and think about their God... The Almighty God, the majesty of His reign and of His rule, who accomplishes His will, who had demonstrated time and again, He was the everlasting Almighty God. Jeremiah looks and he says, do you not realize what's about to happen? In fact, he laments, he cries out, he pours out his soul because he realizes a nation has turned its back on God and judgment will come swiftly. In fact, the fascinating thing is God is going to whistle, as Habakkuk would say, for the Chaldean army, those Babylonians, to to come over the hills. And he says even there in Habakkuk that their God is power. God is going to use an army, a, a people who worship the God who is power, to help his people realize they are the ones who forsook the almighty, powerful God. Jeremiah sees this distress and he cries out to the people. He says, listen, later in this chapter, we won't get there. But he tells them, listen, go ahead, pack your bags. Judgment's coming. In fact, God is going to fling you out like a a stone in a sling. He's going to scatter the whole flock of God. He's going to scatter the flock, the precious flock of God. And as he does it, parents and children will be separated. There will be ruin and destruction of houses and families in the nation and even the temple. Jeremiah points all of this out. And the reason for this disaster, as he says down in verse 21, is because the shepherds, both political and spiritual leaders, did not seek the Lord, but instead led the people astray. Judgment was coming because the leadership had failed to teach the people and show them that we depend on an almighty God. It's because of the sins of the prophets and the iniquities of our priests. He'll say over in Lamentations 4 verse 1, judgment has come. 
A nation went into captivity. Why? Because they did not trust and they forsook the true and living Almighty God. And they were powerless to stop it. You see, in the midst of this sermon, Jeremiah takes in these verses right here from verse 6 down through verse 16. And he highlights the omnipotence of God over against in contrast to the worthless, weak idols of the people. God is omnipotent. Those idols are impotent. And he starts off by saying there's power in just the name of God. Notice in verse 6, I've underlined this. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great and your name is great in might, in power. Just the mere name of God is power. His name encompasses all power. Just how mighty is our God? Well, I love this song that we sing at Vacation Bible School. We've sung it every year for about, a, about seven years now. In fact, we, we try to sing it leading into chapel services at Headwaters uh, every, every month when we have it. In fact, one little first grader reminded me that we didn't sing it uh, this past Wednesday, so we'll have to fix that. But here's the song. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. What a critical truth to, uh, to sear on our hearts and minds this morning and to write on the, the precious little hearts of children that there is an almighty God and when we open his word and we see him reveal himself to us, he reveals himself by a name that is almighty. It is all powerful. He is Elohim, the almighty God who created all things from nothing, from a word. He just spoke. And there it was, Elohim. How did they forget this? I mean, it's right there in Torah. It's the beginning of it. How did they forget that God is the almighty creator of all things? He's El Shaddai. Simply God almighty, all power rests with him. Isaiah would say it this way. He is the mighty one of Israel that they had forsaken. Or as it says, even down in verse 16, he is the Lord of hosts. That is his name. What is the Lord of hosts? He's the Lord of angels' armies. He has the power in his sovereignty as he reigns and as he rules over all of creation to do whatever he wants to do. And he can marshal whatever forces he wants to enforce his will on this world. You remember when Jesus was before Pilate? He said, you know what, I can, I can call 10,000 angels if I wanted to, but I, that's not God's will. But he could. He has all power. He is a great and mighty God. And we, his people, should live each and every day. Those who call on that great name should live in a way that we revere God's name. We reverence him. Why? Because he's the almighty and we're not. And we are dependent upon him. Now what's fascinating to me is the way Jeremiah says this in verse 7. This is the great and mighty name. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? I mean, it's a question. He doesn't say it. Who would not fear you, O king of Israel? You are the king of kings. You are over all nations. You are the great sovereign God. Who would not recognize that your name is to be feared. I mean, Job said it. He recognized it. 
It was taught in Torah. It's made clear in the Proverbs. It's exemplified by all those who live by faith that we revere God. We are loving God fears. In fact, Moses commanded over in Deuteronomy 6, when God's people were about to go into the promised land, he said, listen, you are to teach your sons and your grandsons. That's your children and your grandchildren. You have a responsibility to teach them, he said to his people, to teach them to fear me, to reverence me. And I don't know about you, but when we look around around us out in our nation right now, there ain't a lot of reverence in God out there. There's not a lot of fear of God in the eyes and of minds and hearts of children and of adults as well. And yet that's what they were responsible to do. In fact, what, is, what do you find there in the book of Proverbs? A lesson of a, of a father to his son in chapters 1 through 9, of a mom to her family exemplifying the fear of the Lord in her life in chapter 31. We teach them to fear God. You say, I thought we loved God. Oh yeah, that came later in Deuteronomy 6. We make the great confession, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. There's none like Him. He is the one true Almighty God. We reverence Him. We make the great We obey the great commandment, and that is we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we we do that because He first loved us, and and we make the great commitment. The words that are written now are written on our hearts. They're written on our lives. They're written on our homes. They're written on our doors. They're written on our doorposts. They're written all throughout every aspect of life. And, And they go from our hearts to the hearts of our children, or they're supposed to be. And what is it? We're loving God fears. We recognize who He is. And we also recognize who we are. He is the omnipotent God. And his name is to be revered. But it's a name also that's to be worshipped. Now the problem was, as it says in verses 8 and 9, and we'll draw back up to verses 1 through 5 in just a moment, is Jeremiah says, listen, while while you should be feared, this is your rightful due, verse 7, for among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there's none like you, O king. O king who reigns and rules, there's none like our God. And yet, they are all together, verse 8, underline this in your Bible, in the margin right, Romans chapter 1. They are all together dull-hearted and foolish. Why? Because of their idols. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. and It's brought from Tarshish, gold from Uthaz. The work of craftsmen, the hands of the metalsmith, blue and purple are their clothing. And all they're all the work of skillful men. You see, God's not an idol to be worshipped. God can't be limited. We learned that last week. You can't limit him to any space. He's infinite. We learned that three weeks ago, right? God is infinite, in, or even four weeks ago. He is beyond all that you and I can imagine. He can't be limited in any way. And so what happened was, God's people, instead of worshiping the omnipotent God, in contrast, they worshiped the impotent idols. They became like the pagans, and they followed their customs. And Jeremiah reveals and exposes it and says, what has happened? And when you go back to verses 1 through 5 of this chapter, here's the word of the Lord that was spoken to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, verse Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. That's astrology, by the way. He says, listen, idolatry is just like astrology. What happens is you are divorcing your mind from reality. You, You attribute interpretations and dark things and dark events to nature when that's not necessarily the case. 
You do it by hacking down a tree. This is the custom of idolatry. The custom of the people is futile. One cuts a tree from a forest, the work of the hands of a workman with an axe. And they decorate it with silver and gold and fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They're upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried from place to place because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil nor can they do any good. They're impotent. There's no power in those idols. An idol is nothing. God is everything. And yet what happened was they were so so confused, so devoid of reality. It was a spectacle, and a, a ridiculous spectacle that they were doing. They were taking a tree that was hewn down by an axeman and brought there, and they were fashioning these idols. They were ornately decorating them with silver and, and gold and painting them with blue and, and purple clothing and, and making these fancy idols. But even then, they had to take some hammers and nails and some wire and, and make sure they nailed them and fastened them to a wall lest they topple over. What a great and mighty God to bow down to. In fact, the picture in the Hebrew where it says in verse 5 that they're upright like a palm tree is that really they're like a scarecrow in a cucumber patch. How powerful is a scarecrow? It has no power. It's hollow and without life. And he says, that's what your idols are. And you're bowing down and you're worshiping those things and encouraging the children to follow in lockstep and do the same thing. Lifeless and impotent. Idols of man's imagination. And the thing about idolatry is it's not just fashioning and forming an idol. Sometimes idolatry is when we are guilty of entertaining thoughts about God that aren't even worthy of Him. Tozer says sometimes we do that. We don't recognize just who God is. We don't take Him at His word as He defines Himself or reveals Himself. And we ascribe things to Him that aren't even worthy of Him. The idols in Jeremiah's day were senseless. And as a result of that, the people became just like the object that they worshipped. Worthless. And that's just true because we've already learned that in Psalm 115. That we become like the object that we worship. Now our contemporary idols, listen, they're maybe not as ugly as these pagan idols that they created in Jeremiah's day. But they capture, listen, our affections and our attention just as much as they did in Jeremiah's day. And they do as much damage. Whenever we worship anything other than God, whenever we focus our affection, our love, our attention, our sacrifices uh, for something other than the living God, the true God, that is an idol. And that is an idol not just made of physical substance. Sometimes it's an idol of our hearts. It can be expensive items and it can be the latest technology. It could be a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even our children or a career. It's possible even our bank account becomes an idol, something that we worship. The truth is this, those idols rob us of God and what he wants in our life. And those idols are powerless to do anything for us that God himself could not do far greater, far better, and do far more good for you and for me. You say, this couldn't happen in the church. Oh no, have you ever read 1 John? Have you ever read it all the way to the last verse? That John would speak to the church and would say this, Little children, keep yourself 
from idols. It's a danger for you and for me. Now we must constantly be on guard listening uh, to worshiping something, someone, or even ourselves other than God. But the remedy is in the contrast. The remedy is to recognize who God is and to worship Him. And to get caught up, listen, with the majesty and grandeur of God. Now what's fascinating is notice what he says in verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is the everlasting King. And His wrath, at His wrath, the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Why? Because you see, there's not just power in God's name. There's power that is demonstrated in God's judgment. God is the one true God. There's no other God but Him. And you and I who declare our allegiance to Him should live like that each and every day because we have discovered the one name that is above all names, the great and mighty name of Jesus. And we've yielded to Him. He is the, ever, he is the living God. He's not a dead idol. Our God is the God of life. We wouldn't have life apart from Him. Not just living and breathing now, but even more importantly, eternal life. It all comes from Him. He's the source of it. No idol can, can, can give us new life. No idol can sustain us in life. No idol that we pray to or, or look for is going to bring us any lasting significance in life. He, unlike the idols, he's everlasting. They had to every now and then forge a new idol. They had to craft something new and, and, and their idols didn't last. But you know what? Ours is the everlasting God. He reigns and rules over every generation. And that means every generation has to do with him. You see, all men live before the face of the living God, the Almighty God. We all have to do with Him. And unbelievers ought to tremble before such a God who has displayed His power in all of creation. We have no excuse before Him. That's what Paul says over in Romans chapter 1. God has demonstrated His power so that mankind is without excuse. And when they worship idols, listen, rather than the Creator. When they worship the created stuff and are given over to idolatry and immorality, what does it demonstrate? Darkened hearts, darkened minds. Or as Jeremiah would say over there, as I told you to highlight in verse 8, altogether they are dull-hearted and foolish. That's what idolatry is. When you and I place anything in the place of God and love it more than Him, we are demonstrating dark-heartedness and dull-heartedness. And we shouldn't. In fact, what's fascinating, all men will have to stand before the judgment someday. All of creation is without excuse. We will experience a judgment. We can either experience it now in what Christ has done for us, or we will experience it at the great white throne judgment. You see, the invitation that God gives is what's said over there in Psalm chapter 2. As God speaks the king who reigns and the king who rules, and speaks to all the kingdoms, and he says this, While there's time, kiss the sun. Do homage to the Son, lest you perish in the way, when my wrath is kindled, but as a little. Judgment's coming. There's a day when we will have to give an account. By kissing the Son, what we are saying is, we are repenting of our sin, and we are putting our faith and trust in the Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life for us. And we are yielding to God as the ultimate authority, the greatest power, and we are judging ourselves and recognizing we're undone. We got no hope apart from Him. 
But the invitation is to come to him and acknowledge that while there is time. In fact, when you walk through scripture, what you see time and again, God demonstrating his power in judgment to get the attention of people's. I mean, what greater judgment is this? That God, when he told a man to get in a boat with his family, and eight of them entered into the ark, and God opened up the, 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 the heavens and rained water down and opened up the, 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 the depths and, flood, and flooded the waters that came up. And, and in that time of judgment, God judged the entire world. A testimony of his great power. God showed Abraham his great power. He rained fire and brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah for their unpardonable, I mean, for their abominable sins. And, and as he rained that fire upon them, it was to get the attention. God is holy. There's none like him. Egypt saw the power as God's people were there in bondage. And there were ten plagues where God demonstrated those lifeless idols that the Egyptians worshipped couldn't do anything. They didn't have ultimate power. God did. Yahweh did. And he is the one to whom we must give an account. His fame was so great as he led his people out, demonstrating his judgment on Pharaoh and his armies when he brought the waters back over them and destroyed that mighty army, as he defeated Sion and defeated King Og, and he led his people to the promised land that when they got there, Rahab said, we've heard about you, but really we've heard about your God. He's a mighty God, and we're afraid. Where's that fear gone? Where's that fear gone? You know, it may just be that our influence in the culture is because we, as God's people, has forgot there's a coming day of judgment. That's what he says. At his wrath, the earth will tremble. The nations will not be able to endure his indignation. There is a picture in the Old Testament it points to something in the New Testament, a day that is coming of judgment, a great day of judgment. Seals are going to be torn. Trumpets are going to be sounded. Bowls of wrath are going to be spilled upon this earth. A day when this world will be destroyed, as Peter would say, with fire. And God will demonstrate His great power in that day. And a world needs to realize that. And if we really fear God, then we, as Paul would say to the Corinthians, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why? Because you've got to give an account to him. Everyone has to stand before him. Everyone has to stand before the judgment seat. You can either go before the judgment seat of Christ or the judgment seat of the great white throne judgment. Take your choice. As believers, we don't fear the wrath of God because we realize Christ drank that wrath for us, the cup of God's wrath for us. And when he died on that cross, he paid the penalty that our sins deserve. And it's through an exchange, through repentance and faith, when I say, God, have mercy on me, a wretched sinner. And I cry out, I want his righteousness. I want to make an exchange. He paid the penalty for me. And I want to trust in him. I want him to be my Savior and my Lord. And I yield to him and I recognize you're omnipotent, almighty God, and I'm not. And I need you to save me from my sins. And I realize that. And now here's the amazing thing. Even as a believer, Peter would say this over in 1 Peter chapter 1. We've been born again now to a living hope. And that living hope, listen, is something that's imperishable. We have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away. It's reserved. It's guarded. Listen, the power of God is guarding both our inheritance and it's protecting us until we get there. You see... The power of God's judgment is not something that has to be detrimental to us. It can actually be good that we realized, you know what, 
I've gone before the bar of God's justice. I'm undone. I need a savior. And I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. And now his power dwells within me and sustains me for the journey until I reach his throne in Zion. I love what Psalm 84 says. Listen, blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord. Why? Because when we pass through those valleys of baka, the valleys of weeping, when we shed our tears because we live in a fallen world and we see the effects of sin and evil all around us and we cry out for God's mercy, the promise is we're going to get all the way there one day. And we're going to go from strength to strength. Where does that strength come from? Because you and I don't have it within us. We need an ultimate, almighty, listen, an endless source of it. Where is it? God Almighty. And His power comes to dwell within us. In fact, you, we've already learned that verse from Peter. That His divine power has given us all things we need for what? For life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him. You see, you and I should be displaying God's power as we live. Not because we fear the judgment, because we've already been to the judgment seat and we realize we're undone. We're not worthy. God have mercy on me. I need a Savior. You see, God's power is revealed in His name and throughout in judgment, but it's also revealed in creation. And this is of vital importance for us even now as we stop and consider this. You see, as He says in verse 12, and even down in verse 16, I circled this and underlined this and then drew a, a little line in my Bible because this is what's sandwiched in between is, is these bookends where it highlights, listen, God has the power in creation. Look in verse 12. He has made the earth by His power. He's the creator. He established the world by His wisdom. He stretched out the heavens at His discretion. Y'all, He made it just as He wanted to in wisdom. It's, it's a, it's, it has amazing order to it, purpose to it. And, and yes, sin has corrupted some of it and affected it. But when He made it, it was awesome. Still is pretty amazing what He can do. And then down in verse 16... As it says, the portion of Jacob is not like them. Who's that? Those who are dull-sighted, verse, verse 14, short, uh, without knowledge, who worship these idols. No, no, no. The portion of Jacob, verse 16, is not like them. Their portion is he, the maker of all things, the omnipotent creator. You see, don't forget who made you. Don't forget who can remake you. You see, everywhere we read about God's creation, he didn't need any tools, he didn't need any materials, he simply spoke and it came to be. By the mere word, the heavens and the earth were made, and the starry host came by the breath of his mouth, and he just flung those stars out from his fingertips. He said, stop, oceans, you'll go no further, and he has the power to make it stay just there. Every creature, without ever, whatever purpose he had for it in this whole created order, the whole order of how, the, how it all comes together, a divine cosmos, a divine order, a cosmic order, all things working together as he had appointed them. God demonstrates his power. He demonstrates it in his providence that everywhere, at all times, the Almighty God has very present power to uphold and preserve all that he has made. Nothing is left to fate or chance. No, all things come by the hands of God. Those idols that are worshipped, those, imp those impotent idols that have no power. By the way, a lot of people left their fate with them. No, our God, we don't live our, leave our fate with Him. No, no. We walk by faith. 
We know the end. Nothing is outside the scope of his mighty rule. Everything must give an account to him. The heavens are declaring this all around us. Now, why is this significant? Because you see, if you and I don't believe that God is the creator, which is the most important thing, right? Listen, if we don't recognize that, it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. When we recognize there is one who made all things, here's the thing, we also realize we've made it a mess. We've sinned and fallen short of his glory. And that sin has affected everything. And here's the thing, here's our need, we need to be remade. If he has the power to make all things, he has the power to remake them. And that's why it's significant to understand that there is an almighty God who made all things. Here's some practical relevance for you right now. What are we doing to the hearts and minds of children today? We are deluding their minds. You know why? Because you and I as the church have been silent about this whole transgender issue and homosexuality. And we've grown silent and even played footsie with it and allowed it in the church. And act like, oh no, it's acceptable. You can be gay and a Christian and be a Christian too at the same time. SSA. No, you cannot. No. And what's happening is we are betraying a generation. Why? Because when you lose that fundamental truth that there is a God who made all things, follow the science. It's called X and Y chromosomes. All right? Since we want to follow the science, except when it's not convenient, right? Church, it's my responsibility. It's your responsibility for us not to placate, to give in, to give over to the culture, but to speak against it, to stand against it, to take our light and go into the darkness and say, no, we're calling it out. I don't have to add little prepositions or pronouns, sorry, pronouns to my, to my emails. No. All you're doing is you are giving in to the culture. We don't have to do that. Sin is sin. We call it out. What it demonstrates is what Paul would say in Romans chapter 1. Our culture is depraved and darkened and given over to dull-heartedness and foolishness. Just as he says here in Jeremiah's day. And you know what's the scary thing? They were ripe for God's judgment because of it. And so is America. Don't think we won't be judged by God. We may be being judged right now. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, by the way, there's a nation on the other side of the world that worships power. It's called China. God could simply use them if he so wanted to to judge America. You say, well, that's not very patriotic. Listen, I was a soldier willing to die for this nation and what she once stood for. She once realized that God had blessed us. And that we have the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why? Because those are divinely given rights. And that this government is the form and the fashion of it and how it's supposed to go. It all comes from the word of God, from principles and precepts found in God's word. But we've forgotten that. Why? Because we forgot there's an almighty God who made all things. And now we're raising up a generation and deluding their minds. By the way, when you don't get that one right, you think they're going to get anything else right? When you lose the plumb line, that there's a God who made us? You know what's amazing? Stop sometime and go see Father Abraham, the father of faith, the one that we're supposed to emulate and follow like him. Do you know one of the first things God said to him over in the book of Genesis is this? Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be perfect. The first thing he revealed, I am Almighty God. I have the power to do everything that I've promised you, Abraham. I have the power to do whatever I want to do. Your responsibility is walk before me and be perfect. Now, one thing Abraham demonstrated is that he couldn't be perfect. 
And yet what he realized is this. He didn't have the strength to be perfect. He sinned. It wasn't long after that that he and Sarah, didn't, he didn't do really well leading her down to Egypt. But here's the amazing thing. Abraham was made perfect because he realized he couldn't make himself perfect. In fact, when he went up with his son to offer up a burnt offering up on Mount Moriah, he said, hey, uh, me and the lad are going to go over there and worship. We'll be back in three days. And he prepared the wood, and he took the fire, and he stacked the wood on Abraham, and, and, and they went, and he had the knife. And, and as he's going, his son said, hey, Dad, by the way, where's the burnt offering? God will provide for himself the burnt offering. He got up there, and, and in total faith, he, he set his son up on the altar, tied him down. Raised the knife. God said, stop! You fear me. You fear me, Abraham. Look, there in the thicket, the ram. The substitute, the sacrifice, I've provided it. A picture of what Jesus would be for you and for me. Praise God. God saw to it. God had the power to bring redemption in your life and my life. Praise the Lord. But we must learn to walk by faith like Abraham. Trusting in the power that he believed had the power to raise his son from the dead. There's a great company in heaven that, that have done this, that have walked by faith. Believing in the almighty God, bearing witness of it. Even when they are weak and had no strength, they stayed faithful to him. In fact, they're a voice of many waters, John says in Revelation 19. They shout, they sing, they sing in triumph. And they sing, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. We don't wait to get there to sing this and celebrate it. We do it now. Don't let the Muslim outshout us out in the Alu Akbar, out there in the, in the public square. Our God reigns. Our God is almighty, and we should be living like that each and every day. You know why? Because if you're a believer, you've experienced the power of God in the gospel, which is the power of God, listen, to save us. For Jew and Greek, it's available. When I repent and place my faith and trust in Christ, I experience the power of Almighty God. I'm made new. I put my trust in the sacrifice that Jesus has offered. Nothing else is needed. I call on Him to save a wretch like me. And that power comes in. And then the Spirit of God, God's power Himself, comes to dwell within my life. The power of the blood of Jesus washes away my sins. And the Spirit of God comes and dwells within us. And so I can navigate each and every day knowing God's given me everything I need for life and godliness. That divine power is present. And we should live like that each and every day. You say, I feel weak. I got no strength. Okay, you know what the Apostle Paul said? The Apostle of weakness, asthenia in the Greek, no strength, the Apostle of no strength. He said, you know what? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because God's strength is perfected in my weakness. So in those moments when you're in some situation and you need God to heal you, you need God to help you, there is a God that we know we can do all things through. The one who strengthens us. And it's Christ. He's the source of all power. We can do exceedingly and abundantly beyond even what we ask or think because, as Paul would say in the book of Ephesians, there's a power that works within us. We've turned from dead idols. We've turned to the living and true God, the Almighty God this morning. Have you done that? How powerful is your God? Is it the God of all power? Are you resting in Him, trusting in Him? Because today you can discover the power that can save you from your sins. The one only power that can make you right with God. 
we, we can find strength for the journey this morning because we cry out to the God who has all power. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Why are we trying? Why are we trying? We need him each and every day. And he's available to any and all who call on him if we'll just call on him.